How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Episode 36 here today, a day late. Uh, did have some stuff going on. Pushed it back a day to Wednesday. Nonetheless, we are back uh, with the normal episode, and we will still have our top five edge rusher breakdown this upcoming Friday, um, where we're going to talk about a few guys that just missed the cut, and then our top five in order going from five to one. So that should be fun going over that. Um, but for the time being, we do have the episode where, to where today we are going to talk about NBA standings, uh, golf update with last weekend's event and this weekend's, and then a bunch of NFL news to round it out. And of course, our ice bath to close it out. But before anything, we're going to start with a new segment here called Turn Up the Heat. It's where we each have a hot take. Uh, it can be sports related. It can be related to anything. It doesn't have to be specific whatsoever. Uh, it just happens that we both have similar categories for our takes this week. Um, so, yeah, we'll get it underway here. Uh, my hot take is that I think deep dish pizza is by far the get by far the best kind of pizza. I think it's far superior to New York style. Uh, I did grow up, ha- grow up having deep dish, having lived in Chicago for 10 years. And I've been in New York and had New York style. And I just think there's some about the deep dish pizza, something about how rich it is how feeling it is, you know, the cheese, the, if, especially if you have sausage, I think that's probably my favorite deep dish just because it just adds something to it. And it's hard to describe it unless you've had it, but it's just different in a really, really good way. And I love it. And I don't think, well, I should, well, I don't think it should be a hot take. Uh, it sadly is. Uh, I personally have never had a chance to try like authentic Chicago deep dish pizza. So I will refrain from taking a stance on this. It looks very good, and I and I do trust your culinary opinion in that it is um, really, really good. Um, I do love a good New York-style pizza, so again, I can't necessarily speak on how they compare, but both, I'm sure, are great. Um, my bet on turning up the heat this week, um, again, food-related, almond milk, specifically unsweetened vanilla almond milk, um, but all-encompassing, is far superior. It's just not even close. It's so much better than dairy milk, chocolate milk excluded. That's that doesn't. We're not going into that on this one. Um, very different. That's that's a whole other ball game. Just regular milk. Um, dairy milk, eh, mid. Not even mid. I wouldn't even call it that. Um, all milk is just so much better, and that's a hill I'll die on. Um, not a lot of people like all milk. A lot of people hate on all milk. They're very skeptical to try it. It's so much. It's it's richer in calcium. That's widely like widely advertised. It's richer in calcium. Nobody believes it, but it is. Um, it's way better for you. It's way lower calorie, and it tastes better, frankly. Um, get a little sweetness in there, too, if you want to use it like, when you're baking. So I'm definitely going with almond milk over dairy milk, um, and that's a hill I'll definitely die on. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, I do really like almond milk. I never buy it. Like I've only had it a few times, just when my parents bought it or I went to the store with them and wanted them to buy it years ago. Um, I do really like almond milk. I, don't, I just really don't drink normal milk unless I have cereal. Like some, I love all cereal pretty much, but I just don't have cereal that much. Uh, but I like normal milk, you know, 1%, 2% skim. It's fine, but I like almond milk. It's a different touch. I don't know if I'd put it above. Like I don't know if I'd put one above the other, but it's just a different uh, like flavor if you want to mix it up, you know. Um, don't know if it would be the best in cereal, but yeah, I just don't drink that milk that much. Dep- depends on the cereal. I've experimented lightly with it. Depends on the cereal. Um, but again, it has if you get like the, the unsweetened vanilla, it's got like a nice little 
hint of sweetness to it that's really good. It is thinner than regular yeah. milk. It's not as thick. So it depends on the cereal. It might not be better. But overall, just for, like, drinking. Yeah, I mean. I got you. Well, I am lactose intolerant, um, so I probably shouldn't consume. And you, uh, and you don't abide by that at all. Bobby. You don't. You just talked about deep dish pizza. Yeah, I, I don't eat a ton of ice cream. I am well aware you don't. But you do not abide by it, and I think it's hilarious. I got a gallon carton of ice cream from Walmart, and it was gone in 48 hours. Um, I'll, I'll eat pizza all the time. I eat tons of cheese. I put cheese on some things. So I do. Suffer um, through it. Just got to suffer yeah. through it. it. Although it's not as bad, but lactose uh, sensitive. We won't say intolerant. But, yeah, I mean, I love, hey, I love dairy, so. No pain, no gain, baby. That's all it is. Exactly, but you gotta have dairy part of your diet. I mean, right. dairy is incredible. Um, it makes everything taste good, and you can't have cereal without it. So, with that, um, a couple food takes to kick off the episode. We're gonna get in the NBA this week. Something new that we're gonna do is we're gonna alternate each week with NBA and NHL standings updates. So this week we'll have the NBA where we're gonna give you the top eight teams in both the East and the Western conferences as we are really close to the all-star break. And then next week we will have the NHL um, from both conferences. So a little uh, update that we're going to do instead of giving both each week. I mean, you only play three games a week in both those sports. So it doesn't make sense to be given a standings update each week. Um, just not enough change and stuff. So we're going to alternate, um, but you know, flip and flop between NBA and NHL. So this week, we got NBA. Um, I can do the wet or East. You can do the West. Um, so yeah, eighth in the East right now is the Atlanta Hawks at 25 and 26. They're 11 games back of the top of the conference. New York Knicks are in seventh, 27 and 25, nine and a half back. Miami Heat are in sixth. They're 29 and 23, seven and a half back. Cleveland Cavaliers in fifth are 31 and 22, six games back. In fourth, we have the Brooklyn Nets, are 31 and 19, four and a half games back. In third, we have the Philadelphia 76ers at 32 and 17, that are three games back. In second, we have the Milwaukee Bucks that are 34 and 17, and are two games back. And then in first, with the best record in the NBA right now by a game, are the Boston Celtics at 36 and 15. Um, I mean, pretty much the entire season they've been up there. They've played well. They've had health. Uh, which is big, and you know, you look at a lot of teams in the top eight that I just mentioned, and they're either dealing with health, or you know, a slew of other things. You know, inconsistent play, obviously. Um, nonetheless, good teams. N- most of the teams up there are teams that we see pretty frequently. Uh, you know, in the playoffs and at the top of the standings. But yeah, not much change from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, it, Eastern Conference much more spread out than the Western Conferences. Um, Eastern Conference, you've got an 11 game difference between um, eight and one. Um, you know, namely, you've got kind of a, a, a tier kind of separation here of the teams that are, you know, two to five games back. And you've got a six game, then you got an 11 game run and then out the top eight. Whereas in the Western Conference, you've kind of got two teams at the top. And then you've got, you know, from really from three all the way to what's this 13 uh, or I guess 12. It's, you know, six games back to 11 and a half. So it's a five and a half game difference from the third seed team and the 11 seed team. Um, so in the Western Conference, a little, a little different there. Um a little more parity across the, the conference out, out west. But um, at number eight, the Timberwolves at 27 and 26, nine games back. The Suns at 25, 27, 25, eight and a half games back at seven. 
At six, you got the Mavericks at 27 and 25 as well. Eight and a half games back. Uh, the Warriors here coming in at number five, 26 and 24. Eight and a half games back. The Clippers at five, 29 and 25, seven and a half back. The Kings at six back at the three spot, 28 and 21. And they've got a big jump here with the Grizzlies at 32 and 18, two and a half back. And the Nuggets leading the conference at 35 and 16. Um, just a hair behind the Celtics there uh, for the best record in the league. Again, a lot, a lot of parity across the Western Conference. I think you see a lot of teams. Like I said, you've got uh, the Thunder, the Blazers, and the Lakers. They're all right there as well, kind of right outside the top 10. You've got the Pelicans, the Jazz sitting there at 9 and 10 um, tied there as well. So a lot of parity across the conference. I think um, definitely more parity than the Eastern Conference. And um, still got to see kind of some tiers really separate themselves in the Western Conference. But I, I think we should hear that in the coming weeks after the trade deadline. Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, in each conference, top teams at least two games up on the rest of the conference. Um, in the West, we have seen some more movement in the past two weeks than we did the East. I mean, the Kings jumped to three. The Warriors fell. The Mavs, I think, stayed the same. And the Timberwolves got into the eight spot. Um, obviously, the top six are first-round locks, and then seven through ten are participating in a play-in where you play a game and then you clinch your spot uh, to the first round. So I only mentioned the top eight teams because that's how they used to do it, and that's the top eight teams that should be in it, uh, you know, just based off best record. But, I mean, here pretty soon, I think February 16th is the last day of games before the All-Star break, and then February 17th through the 22nd will be the All-Star break. The game of Team Giannis versus Team LeBron will be on February 19th at 7 on TNT. So that should be interesting to watch. Uh, All-Star games are fun to watch, I think, with the new format. And, you know, you just see a ton of scoring. I mean, obviously no defense, but a ton of scoring. And it's always fun to watch all the best guys play on the same court. But, yeah, that wraps up the NBA standings recap. Next week we'll have an NHL one for you all. Um, but as we move on, I'm going to talk about golf here real quick. So last weekend the Farmers Insurance Open occurred at Torrey Pines, the north course in La Jolla, California, uh, Max Homa, the native Californian, won the event by two shots at 13 under, taking home 1.6 mil. Um, he's the second golfer on tour this season to have multiple wins, the first being John Rahm, who won back-to-back events to start the season. Um, yeah, really prof- impressive showing from Homa, winning by two strokes. He always seems to play well in California, always finishes pretty high on the leaderboard. Um and, you know, fun event at a legendary golf course to open up kind of the bigger events of the season. Uh, but this upcoming week, we have the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am at Spyglass Hill Golf Club in Pebble Beach, California. Uh, the purse is 9 mil, uh, with many of the athletes participating as well. So I believe 16% of the purse goes to the winner. And should be fun to watch. Uh, we do have a couple high-caliber amateurs, or at least well-known. Um, Bills quarterback Josh Allen is one of them, along with a few others. So should be interesting. Nonetheless, uh, the pros will obviously play well. Um, you know, a bunch of guys in this event have played this course many, many times. So should be fun to see how it goes at one of the most iconic courses ever. No doubt. Pro-Am is always kind of a good time. Um, you're never really expecting a ton from the, the amateurs, but typically, you know, the amateur that's fair with the pros, usually um, the difference, obviously the pros usually play well and play within each other's kind of game. It's all, usually the amateurs that separate, um, you know, the teams that win and the teams that lose. So 
interesting to see kind of who all I, I haven't looked to see who all is participating. I'm, I'm looking forward to see. I know Josh Allen's in there. I'm sure there's a couple other notable uh, athletes in there as well. So definitely looking forward to that this week, um, this upcoming week. We'll kind of shift gears to the NFL here, which should be the bulk of our episode today, as usual right now. Um, I'll kick it off. Early news this morning. Um, there was a recording, a video recording from a, from a beach. It looked appeared to be down in Tampa um, early this morning. Watching the sunrise was Tom Brady announcing his retirement for good this morning. Um, you know, kind of expected. I think it was largely expected he was either going to be, you know, going back and trying to find somewhere to play in free agency or he'd be, uh, you know, Connor to quits and going to call games for Fox. So, um, nonetheless, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be great calling games. Um, first bout Hall of Famer, no doubt. He joins J.J. Watt as the second surefire Hall of Famer, first bout Hall of Famer um, to retire this offseason. Probably only two guys um, that'll retire this year that'll be eligible in 2028, I believe. That'll be surefire first ballot guys, but um, no doubt a uh, legend of the game. Um, a guy who did a lot for the game of football, a guy who, um, you know, superseded Father Time, it felt like, for a long time. So, um, you know, played with guys like Asante Samuel Sr. and then competed against his son, Asante Samuel Jr. Um, you know, could have played one more year and played Joey Porter Jr. Uh, and gotten that was senior, but again, Nonetheless, a guy who played played the game at the highest level and, and, and in my mind is no doubt uh, the GOAT. So, um, you know, kind of expect a little bit, but uh, nonetheless, certainly um, kind of got out of the way early. And um, Tom Brady, like I said, calling a career. Yeah, it was, wasn't surprising. Um, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people saw this coming. He just wanted to get the notion that he was coming back so he could announce it himself. Um, you know, he did retire February 1st of last year before – ultimately returning um so coincidental maybe there um but yeah definitely seemed like the video was from a beach um just seemed like he wanted to spend more time with his family uh obviously he's going to be in the broadcasting booth i think uh later this year for the upcoming season a little bit i'm sure uh the role there might be a little limited so he can still spend time obviously you're not going to be you know having practice all week and not going to be traveling to games for the most part um I'm sure they'll try to keep him somewhat local to Florida. So obviously more time with his family there, uh, not being a current NFL player, let alone a quarterback. Um, so good for him. Definitely an end of an era. Whereas, you know, in the past few years, we've seen Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, Peyton Manning a little bit ago. We had Phillip Rivers, basically Big Ben, Eli Manning, and now Tom Brady. So kind of those six tier one quarterbacks for a while. I'll call it quits and likely won't be back in the league. Um, you know, you look at the six guys that are up next. I mean, it's fun to see, you know, four or five of the six are in the NFC or AFC, excuse me, uh, both at the old era and the new era. So um, it should be interesting to see how with the new era of quarterbacks and ultimately Aaron Rodgers will cap off that squad there when he decides to hang it up. Um, seven legendary quarterbacks all of them playing each other and playing in the league together for a while. It'll be interesting to see how the new era, you know, obviously the quality of play seems to be right up there, but how different they are. We already know what kind of their styles of play are different, but, you know, how different will they win and handle multiple different things? How will they want to surround themselves with the talent? Uh, all depends, you know, how are they going to differ? And then ultimately at the end of the careers, how are they going to stack up record-wise? Are they going to be challenging any records? Are they going to be – you know, far off, or they're going to already have the record. So it'll be fun to see, but definitely a new era here in the NFL. 
No, I think the other thing you mentioned or you talked about that I'll mention on that is um, how do these new guys, these next six, and I think that um, you're kind of starting to see a clear five to seven here um, kind of going forward. How do these guys' games develop and adapt over time? Like how do these guys, you know, how does Lamar Jackson's game evolve over the next five, ten years? How does Mahomes' game, Justin Herbert's game, Josh Allen's game, Joe Burrow's game, you can throw Lawrence in there as well. How do those guys, how do their games develop over the next, you know, five to ten years? So, um, you know, do these guys, does playing 20 years become the norm for a quarterback? Um, you know, I think it does with, with you know, modern medical technology. And as much as we know about the human body and recovery and all that stuff, I think, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, Phil, Eli, Ben and, and Breeze, um, I guess Peyton kind of being the one outlier there of guys who didn't really play as long as their counterparts, but that certainly Tom and Aaron, two guys that, um, invest a lot in their bodies and they, you know, have, have played, you know, 20 plus years. So I think that's going to become the new new quarterbacks. Hopefully it does. I think it's good for the NFL kind of keep these guys around longer. But again, um, you know, like, like we said, end of an era, certainly we come to a close here when Rogers calls it a quits here in the next year or two, but um, kind of shifting gears to our one piece of news, uh, you know, non coaching related news this week. Um, Staying on topic with quarterback series, um, our young star quarterbacks, uh, Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert underwent surgery this past week, I believe on last Wednesday, so a week from today, to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder. Uh, I believe that he's suffered it, you know, past the last four to six weeks of the regular season. Um, don't really have a, a, time, a, pin, a pinpointed time for it. I think he showed up in the injury report in week 14 or 15 with a shoulder injury. Um, probably suffered that that week or the week before, so um, – you know, played really the end of the season and then the wild card round with the torn labrum in the shoulder. Again, not the throwing shoulder, but um, still uncomfortable. You know, I've known multiple people who've had torn labrum. Sometimes it requires surgery, sometimes it doesn't. It sounded like his required surgery. So um, added to the list of just, you know, stuff he battled through this year, mainly being the the broken rib cartilage uh, all year. So going to be a, um, a healing offseason for Justin Herbert. But again, um, he'll be good to go by you know, spring activities, you know, in March or I guess in April and, and May with OTAs and stuff. So um, should be a quick road to recovery on, on the on the surgery. Typically, it's not like a, you know, a reconstruction or anything like that. So he should be good to go, um, you know, in the next few months, um, certainly ready by uh, OTAs and all that stuff. Yeah, definitely one of the top players in the league. Uh, you know, when those guys undergo surgery, it's interesting to see the rehab process and how you know, if there's any setbacks, if they're ahead of schedule, stuff like that, uh, something to look out for down the road and down the course of the off season. Um, but yeah, we each got about three points to touch on each here as we're going to talk about uh, just a bunch of hires that have occurred over the past few days, maybe up to a week um, since our last episode. Nearly all the head coach vacancies have been filled, as well as many coordinator positions. Um, so what I'm going to touch on right off the bat is yesterday. The Texans hired former 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans as their new head coach, a former Houston Texans player himself. Um, I think this was a Texans' first choice from the rip. It seemed like they really wanted him back in Houston. Um, you know, he had he knew the Houston culture. He knew how to connect with fans. Obviously, he knew his way around the building and stuff like that. Um, should be really exciting to see how he does. Obviously, a defensive head coach being a defensive coordinator there. Um, just another coach from the Shanahan tree. Learned under Shanahan while he wasn't offensive. Um, nonetheless, should be fun to see. He's going to bring a few Niners guys with him, I assume. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just looking forward to new era in Houston. You know, they've seemed like they've been the laughing stock of the league the past few years. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them, you know, kind of turn over a new leaf, you know, presumably bringing in a rookie quarterback to work with D'Amico for a few years. You know, D'Amico signed a six-year deal, so you figure he's going to get at least three years out of it, regardless of how bad they are, Um, you know, build up chemistry with assuming Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, uh, you know, put the right guys around him. They do have, you know, not a bad offensive staff uh, personnel-wise. You know, we don't know who their offensive coordinator is going to be yet, but probably Bobby Slowick, the pass game coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. He was a coveted offensive coordinator candidate this cycle. And with D'Amico knowing him well, being on the 49ers staff together, it seems like they're going to be joining forces there in Houston. But nonetheless, uh, fun to look out for. And it'll be fun to see how he revamps that defense, adds pieces to it as it needs a lot of work. Uh, You know, you have Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie, but outside of that, not a whole lot. So it'll be fun to see how he builds that up and, you know, how good the Texans can become in a loaded AFC. Yeah, I think it starts with getting the quarterback selection right, and then I think D'Amico's going to come in and, and less defensive talent than what the Jets have with Robert Sala, and I don't want to try and compare the two too much, but they come from the same coaching staff and the same scheme. Um, I think you could see D'Amico Ryans have a similar impact in year one in Houston that Robert Sala did on the defense in New York. Um Certainly, it's going to take. Obviously, getting Sauce Gardner helped a lot in year two for Robert Sala. Um, so I, I think it's going to take getting. You know, they're they're going to take a defender. I think at twelve, um, if they don't move out of the pick, which they very well could, I think they're going to take a defender. Um, the offensive line isn't terrible in Houston. Um, Kenny Green showed, showed some flashes at the end of the year that he can be a, a decent starter for you long term. Obviously, you've got a top left tackle in Larry Tunsil. I think they're, I think they're going to go defense and they're going to get Robert Sala. Um, a, a, a cornerstone guy. I, I would love to see a corner go there. Um, you know, whether one of the top two guys in Witherspoon or, or Gonzalez falls to him at 12, or if they even take Joey Porter Jr. at 12, I'd be happy with it. Um, you know, you'd like to peg Brian Branch to them, but he is just a better version of Jalen Petrie, I think. And you watch the tape, they're both listed as safeties, but they both played slot corner for the most part where they were, you know, their respective colleges. So don't know if you can necessarily bring him in, um, but a guy that I, you know, kind of a, talent level that I like there at 12. But nonetheless, I think D'Amico's going to have a, a great career there. I hope they give him some time. Uh, the McNair family's not been known to be real patient, but um, I think this is when they're going to have to be patient with D'Amico's a great head coach. He's a great coach in general. He's a great guy. Um, and getting back to, you know, some familiar roots there in Houston. But first one I'm going to touch on here is the Panthers hired former Colts head coach Frank Reich and former Panthers quarterback Frank Reich as their new head coach. Um, again, another head coaching kind of candidate hire going back to familiar roots prior in their career. Um, yeah, I think this is a great hire for Carolina. I thought this was the best head coaching job available, frankly. I thought it was, um, no pun intended, um, thought it was the best job out there in the cycle. I think they're a quarterback away from winning that division, especially with Tom Brady leaving, leaving Tampa. Um, you look across the division and the current starters across the division are what Jameis Winston is he, or is he, I don't know if he's, he know if he's a free agent. Um, you know, you've got Blaine Gabbert in Tampa right now, slated right now to start. Um, they'll probably get a different quarterback in there. But right now it's Blaine Gabbert, Andy Dalton, and um, Desmond Ritter. So if Carolina can upgrade at quarterback this offseason, I like their defense a lot. They're, they have a ton of young talent there. I like their offensive two solid tackles. I like I like DJ Moore a lot. So I think they've got all the pieces there. They've, just, they've got to 
connect them with a quarterback and kind of get it all going to go and flowing nicely together. Um, popular Anthony Richardson landing spot. And frankly, I really like it. I think, um, you know, getting a young quarterback like Anthony Richardson in there with a ton of tools um, in there with Frank Reich would be awesome for them. I think Frank would do a great job with, with Richardson. Um, I think it's a really good hire. I think Frank was entirely a scapegoat uh, for what happened in Indy. I think, you know, um, you know, he, he hit on one of his quarterbacks, missing the second one, and Ursay eventually, inevitably took over uh, control of the quarterback search this past offseason, got him Matt Ryan, and it just didn't work out. Um, they had no backup plan outside of Matt Ryan, which, again, is is a problem. Um, so, again, I, th- I think the Frank Reich situation in India was more of a, a a failure by the organization and Jim Ursay rather than a Frank Reich failure. Um, the guy's a good play caller. I, I like what he does offensively. I think he's a great leader of men, so phenomenal hire. Um, for Dave Tepper and um, and those guys down in Carolina. Yeah, you basically said it. I like it a lot. I think it's a really good landing spot for Reich, uh, quality head coach. It'll be fun to see how they uh, rebound and how they hopefully with some coaching continuity and you know building a culture there. It should be fun to see how they are. Um, I like the Panthers. One of maybe in the top half if I had to rank every team from you know the Ravens to the bottom. Probably in the top half. I like the Panthers. I like Carolina. So we're looking forward to seeing how they do in a not-so-good division, like you mentioned, with the lack of quarterbacks now, with Drew Brees out and now Tom Brady. So it'll be fun to see how the Panthers progress and how they build, like I said, their culture, similar to the Texans with D'Amico. But nonetheless, I think they got the right guy for the job. Next point I'll touch on here is that the Jets hired the former Denver Broncos head coach, Nathaniel Hackett as their new offensive coordinator. So obviously the Jets head coach was the former 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Sala. And they had a hole at offensive coordinator. And they decided to bring in Nathaniel Hackett, who had a bust of a season in Denver. Uh, They brought him in to call plays for Russell Wilson and what looked like a revamped team, a team primed for some wins. And now they're, you know, picking top five or something if they had their own pick, but it should be interesting to see how this plays out. I think they also had in mind, you know, Nathaniel Hackett worked with Aaron Rodgers in green Bay and you now are looking to bring Aaron Rodgers to the jets as it's likely right now is the favorite to land him. If he were to be traded from green Bay, it was interesting to see how this plays out. Um, You know, bringing Aaron Rodgers to the AFC would be absurd. It'd be the craziest conference craziest quality of quarterbacks in one conference all time probably just looking at the disparity to the nfc as well you lose tom brady you would be losing aaron Rodgers to the afc your best quarterbacks probably what kyler murray who isn't that good is on a torn acl unless i'm missing somebody i mean jimmy g might take it might take the crown if he stays going to tampa obviously if he goes to vegas then the afc gets even better um you know, and the Texans are going to have a high, highly tied quarterback, and the Colts probably will too. So every team in the AFC has a bona fide quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. You look at, you know, bona fide maybe a stretch, but, I mean, the Steelers, Kenny Pickett, he's, you know, building a culture. Trevor Lawrence looked really good this past season. So really every team in the AFC, honestly, with the exception of a couple, um, you look at the Titans and you look at 
I don't know who else, but at least the Titans as teams don't really have an answer at quarterback long term. And that's just crazy to me that one conference could have all this talent while the other conference doesn't seem to have any of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that before I get to my next coaching hire. And I think you hit the nail on the head is this, the, the talent discrepancy, namely at quarterback, is is vast. Um, so much so that, frankly, if it keeps up, it, don't be surprised to see the NFL scrap the conferences for playoffs. It's been talked about in other leagues. It hasn't happened. It wouldn't surprise me if we start getting – I mean, here's the thing. In the AFC, you're only going to get seven playoff teams. You've got the, the – right now, the five best quarterbacks in football are the, are the five best quarterbacks in the AFC. You throw Trevor Lawrence in there at six, you get the top six. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, like you said, looked good. You still have Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, in Cleveland. You've got um, – You've got Russell Wilson in Denver. Vegas doesn't really have an answer. Tennessee doesn't have an answer. Houston's going to have probably Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Indy's going to have one of those guys. Um, you know, so it's just you, you have Tua. You've got Mac Jones, who maybe not the answer long term. We don't know. That's probably to be to be determined in the next couple of years. But like you said, look across the conference, and for the most part, 14 of the 16 teams have an answer. And then you look at the NFC, and it's like, man. You can only look at a couple. I mean, I guess you can kind of count Kyler as an answer, but I don't know what that contract's going to look like in a couple of years. Same goes for Dak. Jalen's probably an answer. Um, Justin Fields looks like he might be an answer. But outside of that, I mean, you really don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, the, the Niners, who knows what happens with Brock and Trey. So like you said, it's just um, kind of a huge discrepancy and kind of a weird deal there um, to keep an eye on just going forward. Um, don't I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked to see Carolina make a huge aggressive move to go get a quarterback just considering the fact that if they get Bryce Young maybe they are the best team maybe maybe they're one of the best teams in the NFC going into next year right I mean they're certainly one of that division um you know and then you kind of look at you know how do we compare with with teams that are the north and then the Niners obviously in the Eagles so um certainly an interesting dynamic there um but I'll get to my my second or my I guess my um I got my second coaching hire here uh with the Denver Broncos finalizing a trade with the New Orleans Saints to acquire the contract rights to head coach Sean Payton in exchange for a 2023 first round pick. Uh, it is the, it is via Miami, via San Francisco. So it's San Francisco's pick, the 30th overall selection, 30th overall pick, but the 29th selection being made, um, seeing that Miami at 21 has forfeited their pick. Uh, they also are getting a second rounder next year and a third round or fourth rounder in the year after, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Uh, so Sean Payton and a 2024 third are going to New Orleans right. or going to Denver right. and New Orleans is sending right. a first this year and a second next year. That's right. That's right. That's right. So they're, so New Orleans gets the first. Um, so they have, have a first round pick now. Granted, it's at 29 and in this class. Yeah. At 29. Yeah. Basically a second. Um, yeah, second. And then they get a second rounder next year. So a, a good haul for Sean Payton. I think an all around good deal. Um, this is Denver trying to reignite the spark that is Russell Wilson. Um, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out. Obviously, it's an aggressive move. He was not their first choice. It wasn't even their second choice. He's their third choice. Um, they basically made a run at D'Amico Ryan's the last, you know, the day the day that he signed with, with Houston. It's certainly the day before. Um, they made the run at D'Amico early on. Then they flew out Jim Harbaugh to like secretively recruit him to come be their head coach. He he declined them, and then they went back to the drawing board with D'Amico, like in the eleventh hour before he you know finalized with Houston, and then when that fell through, they they pretty quickly pulled the trigger on Sean Payton. Um, 
I mean, the Nathaniel Hackett thing, you just talked about him going to uh, to, to the Jets. Obviously, it's an Aaron Rodgers draw, right, for them. But it was certainly the, the plan with him going to Denver in the first place, right? It was, um, you know, when they didn't get Rodgers, they get they get Russ. And when Russ really didn't pan out, writing was on the wall that Hackett was gone. Um, didn't have control of the locker room, it didn't sound like. Um, you know, again, it was mainly a Rodgers draw. When Rodgers went back to Green Bay, it was like, well, we got to go to the next guy. And um, that's kind of what they did again here. So the thing for Sean Payton that, that, that's going to be intriguing is his his legacy is kind of set in stone. Like if he goes to the Broncos and they suck, it's not really on him. It's on Russ and it's on the roster, right? So, um, you know, definitely a tough division to be in. The Vegas is going to get better. You've obviously got two playoff teams in Kansas City and, and Los Angeles. So going to be tough. Uh, but again, if, if there's any coach that, that can get Russ right again, it's probably Sean Payton. So uh, I get I get the aggressive move from them. Going to be interested to see what he gets paid in his, this new contract. He's getting, getting a new contract. Rumors are it's north of $20 million a year. So curious to see how that works out. But um, certainly uh, probably the biggest splash move uh, in terms of the offseason to date. Yeah, for sure. I think I saw something. It was gonna be like seventeen to twenty annually, if I'm not mistaken. Um, crazy. But yeah, crazy for a coach. Um, you know, this did happen just before the D'Amico Ryan's announcement. You know, Adam Schefter, ESPN's NFL insider, said it wasn't coincidental. Ian Rappaport, NFL Network's insider, said it was. Uh, you know, and he listed the reasons why that you just mentioned. That, you know, Denver was flip flopping between options and ultimately, you know, went all in on on uh sean payton but it should be fun to see how that plays out you know like you said um he's definitely the guy to fix russell wilson very successful head coach winning a super bowl worked with drew Brees for a long long time as i'm assuming y'all know um but my last point here is that the dolphins have reportedly agreed to terms to hire former broncos head coach vic fangio as their new defensive coordinator there's reportedly a holdup in the contract being finalized. Uh, came out earlier today, I believe, um, kind of out of nowhere. You know, obviously it's not finalized and it's not set in stone, but this would be a good move for Miami. Um, you know, Miami does need to improve their defense. It seems like they have the pieces. It's just there's a lot of moving pieces and you need to kind of lock those down, especially against the talent at quarterback that we just mentioned within the conference. So. A big move there for the Dolphins if it does come to fruition. If it doesn't, then I'm not sure what their backup plan would be. But for now, it seems like their plan A is going to happen. Definitely stay tuned for that as something could change in that regard. Yeah, no, you know, it's certainly an interesting dynamic here, right? I thought this was a great hire. I texted you right after they they hired him, and I said, man, if if Tua's healthy – so they have a league average replacement for Tua, like a high-end backup or just a guy that's slightly worse than Tua, and one or both of those guys were healthy all year, they're winning the division. I, I, I think – I genuinely think Buffalo is going to regress next year. I think there's going to be some serious turnover in that in that that on that roster, and, you know, they're going to – it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be a, a lot of questions this offseason there in Buffalo, so – and Miami is certainly a team that looked really good. I mean, they gave they gave them hell in that in that wild card game. They gave them all they could handle with Skylar Thompson. So, with the improvements in year two for Mike McDaniel, you figure they're going to be better. And I thought with with Vic Fangio coming in there as a defense coordinator, phenomenal defensive mind. Um, I, in my opinion, one of the guys who's maybe he's not a head coach, but he's one of the best coordinators in football. I think that's certainly Vic. Um, 
So it would have been a great move for them. It, I have no idea where this stands now. Basically, Vic's camp came out and was like, he's not he's not agreed to anything. And people from kind of the Dolphin, not the team specifically, but like beat reporters that know the situation very well in Miami are like, well, he agreed. Now he's like, you know, you know, trying to get, you know, one one foot in, one foot out type of deal. So um, it makes me wonder if Frank's trying to get him or Sean Payton's trying to get him. Um, Sean Payton's the likely one. I just don't know if he'd go back to Denver after being fired what a year ago so definitely an interesting dynamic i'm for the chargers sake for every other afc afc team sake hope he doesn't take the job in in miami hope he goes to to carolina or somewhere else but um certainly an interesting thing going on here um with with the dolphins kind of whole situation yeah like you said i think the most likely landing spot for him would be carolina just because you know he was already within the broncos organization didn't end well and now with this, with the Dolphins, I think he also has more room to succeed being with Carolina as well. So he'll probably make himself look better. And I don't know. It just seems like that would be the best fit for him. Um, I believe you have one more, and then we're going to get into some remaining openings. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got one more here. Um, the one I'm I'm most intrigued by or I'm intrigued, most you know excited about um, just personally. Chargers hired former Cowboys offense coordinator Kellen Moore as a new offensive coordinator. Um you know, Kellen. So here, here's my theory on this, and we and we talked at length about this after Kellen got hired in LA. Um, I mean, shoot, we were together the night, the night before when it was announced he was going to meet with them, and literally the next morning, within like what 12 hours, 14 hours, he was hired. So um, it tells me that they were all in on Frank Reich as their OC. That day, Frank gets or late in the week, Frank gets hired as the head coach in Carolina. They pretty quickly pivoted to to Kellen Moore. Um, which signals to me they wanted an experienced play caller, which I understand. Um, having an experienced, not not a first-time play caller, calling plays for them. So um, they pretty quickly pivoted to Kellen. Um, and from what it sounds like, he, him and Dallas, he, like, he left Dallas to take this job. Like, I think he wanted a fresh start and was like, hey, can I leave? Like, will you guys just let me leave and go take another job? And they let him. Because um, you'd figure, I mean, a week later he leaves – they mutually part ways. Why wouldn't they just fire him midweek, right? I get not firing him the day after they lose the game, but it's like you figure at some point they're going to have to fire him. So I don't necessarily think that was like a, hey, we want to move on from Kellen Moore. I think that was like a, hey, Kellen Moore approached us. He wants to go take another job. Is it the worst thing in the world if we part ways? No. They needed a guy to blame anyways. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the hire personally. It was something I wasn't thrilled about when they talked about meeting with him. And then overnight, I did a lot of I did a lot of digging into what the, you know, the Cowboys stats were. Um, you know, they're a top five scoring team in the third quarter, which is the Chargers were the 29th scoring team in the third quarter in the league. Um, the Cowboys are the most efficient red zone team in football, um, a place where the Chargers mightily struggle, especially late in the year. You saw it in the Jacksonville game, kicking a lot of field goals, ended up, you know, killing them late. So um, I'm a big fan of the hire. I think I think Justin Herbert wanted him. I think Justin Herbert wanted an experienced play caller. Um, and I think the nice thing about Kellen's offense is that he's been fairly outspoken for a coordinator about the fact that he's not a he doesn't run a specific scheme. He likes to run number one plays that work, plays that fit fit the talent and plays that, you know, catch defenses off guard. He doesn't want to stick to one system or one scheme, per se. He's a scheme diverse coach. Uh, I can't remember the exact wording that he had referenced and that other people referenced for him. Um, I'm sure if I went on Twitter and looked, I could, but I. No need. Um, 
I'm really excited about it. I think, you know, in, in this presser today, I haven't watched the full thing yet. I've been swamped. I'll probably get to it on Friday. But, um, you know, he said that, you know, the, the, the big quote that everyone liked was, you know, you know, speed doesn't hurt. Speed really helps. So um, I'm looking for the Chargers to add some speed. I'll talk about this in my ice bath here at the end of the episode uh, with a potential option at speed to add through the draft. But, um, no, really excited about this hire. I, I think, um, you know, Cowboys fans, some of them are using him as like, hey, he sucked. Well, he was the problem. Others are saying they were just, you know, a, a step behind the top two teams, you know, in the conference. And, um, you know, they, they want him back. I, I don't know how, how how many that is. But, again, I, I'm really excited about it. Um, expect for the Chargers to go acquire a legitimate running back with legitimate running rushing upside this offseason, whether that's via the draft early on, whether that's via free agency. I know, you know, Tony Pollard's definitely an answer that's to come to mind for a lot of people. I don't know if they have the cap viability to go get him just with the money that they, you know, they're $23 million in the red right now with the cap number coming out at 224.8 million. So they're in the red. Don't know if Tony Pollard's a viable option for them with the cap health, but again, an answer we thrown around for them a lot, but overall, um, very excited about this. Um, if he sucks, the whole staff's gone next year anyway. So this is a win-win for the Chargers, I think. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a good move. One that was made rather quickly, like you said. Um, really never was much of an opening there in L.A. It seemed like, you know, Lombardi was out, and a few days later it's, oh, Kellen Moore's going to take over, but he's also leaving the Cowboys. It like wasn't like Cowboys have fired Kellen Moore, Chargers interviewing Kellen Moore. Chargers have hired Kellen Moore. It was kind of all one fell swoop, like you said. Um, you know, smart on their part, I think. It saves them time. It gets them right down to business, and, you know, you can start talking about off-season plans and stuff like that and what he wants to do. So a good move there. Um, I'm going to mention there are some openings still. Obviously, you know, teams took over. Uh, coaches that took over teams – this offseason, um, you look at the Cardinals, Colts, Bucks, Titans, Commanders, and the Cowboys and the Ravens have offensive coordinator openings still remaining. Uh, there are plenty of candidates out there. I mentioned the Ravens real quick. Um, they're one team that, you know, has one of the more attractive openings, assuming Lamar stays and signs an extension. Should be interesting to see what happens with that, uh, but that is a conversation for a different time. But to this point, the Ravens have interviewed, by my count, nine external candidates and two internal candidates. Some external candidates they have interviewed multiple times. Um, I'm not going to get into the candidates' roles with other teams. I'll just list them. Uh, the Rams, Zach Robinson. The Browns, Chad O'Shea. The Seahawks, Dave Canales. The Vikings, Brian Angelicho. The Broncos, Justin Outen. The Georgia Bulldogs, Todd Munkin. The Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. The Bills, Chad Hall. The Cowboys, Doug Nussmeyer. And then in terms of their internal candidates are the QBs coach, James Irvin, and the tight ends coach, George Godsey. So, 11 guys there. A couple guys have been interviewed multiple times. I've Assuming the next seven days or so, we'll have a decision on who the offensive coordinator is going to be going forward. Nonetheless, uh, those guys that are listed that don't get the Ravens job will be much in the running for all these other jobs that are still open. But, yeah, we have seven offensive coordinator openings 
still remaining and the Panthers and Vikings defensive coordinator jobs are still open. So definitely something to look out for and something that could be resolved rather quickly. Yeah, the, the Ravens job, certainly out of the charges jobs off the market. Uh, we talked about this before was um, the Ravens job was probably the second best OC job available behind the Chargers simply because of the whole Lamar situation. And you feel like the offense is a little more ready to go. You know, Super Bowl offense in L.A. just with better weapons at, at right now. Obviously, that can change with, with Baltimore. But, um, you know, that, they're the clear cut best job on the market here. When you read the list of Cardinals, Ravens, cut Bucks, Colts, Titans, Commanders, Cowboys. Cowboys job's pretty solid. But again, you got to worry about Jerry and you got to worry about just you know, you've got an unstable situation with Dak. Baltimore's the best job available. It sounds like Lamar's going to stay long-term. So um, certainly a job, I, you know, right now I think we talked, you like Zach Robinson. I think Zach Robinson's going to be really higher for somebody. And I think you guys could get him. Um, I thought he was going to be the Chargers OC. And then all this stuff happened with Kellen Moore pretty quickly. So obviously not the head coach, the offense coordinator of the Chargers now. So um, it would be a great hire for the Ravens. I think ultimately it's going to come down to, is there anyone else that kind of frees up in the same way that Kellen Moore did um, that the Ravens maybe have their eye on? And then again, just kind of taking their time, making sure they get the right guys and they vet everybody. Um, but the, I'll hit, I'll hit the one opening that I want to talk about here with the Colts head coaching job. Um, you know, if I run through, I, I can pull up their interviews here. And, and the crazy thing is I don't even know if it's going to matter who they interview. Cause it seems like Jim or really, really, really wants Jeff Saturday, which is beyond me, frankly. Um, <laughs> it would be such a comical situation, and I would feel really bad for the candidates that they interview um, <laughs> if they did just go ahead and hire, um, you know, Jeff Saturday. Not that Jeff's a bad head coach, but like, let's get real, guys. He's not. He's not necessarily the guy you want to hire. So. Um, Let's see if they have a list here of they don't, which is okay. I know they've interviewed a lot of guys. Um, you know, they've interviewed. I, frankly, I have no idea who they're going to hire right now. I couldn't tell you. Um, again, I, you want it to be somebody. I think Wink Martindale is a guy that I, that I, if I had to pick one outside of Jeff Saturday, it's, it's Wink Martindale. I think you have the defense in place already with a lot of talent. Um, you've got a great slot corner in Kenny Moore. You've got Stephon Gilmore still there playing at a, at, a, at a solid high level, pretty high level. You've got one of the best defensive tackles in football in DeForest Buckner. You've got one of the best linebackers in football in Shaq Leonard. You've got some solid safeties there. It's just a matter of putting all together and finding an, a, a really good edge rusher. Um, whether or not they can do that this year, they probably can't. They probably have to wait till later in the year to go ahead and do that, seeing that you know they've, they've got to take a quarterback to top pick. But again, they get the quarterback right. Offensive line could use some work again, but um, yeah, I think Wink would be a great hire. I think Wink's long overdue for a head coaching job personally. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. Um, so that's a guy I think they could hire, but honestly, dude, I mean, it's a crapshoot with them. And I hate to say that because like the Colts are historically a, a great organization, but um, I think Jim Mersey has, he is putting his fingerprints on the, on the franchise far too much. And it's, to a detriment at this point for them. So whatever. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, never a big fan of the Colts. They left Baltimore in the middle of the night to go to Indianapolis uh, back in 1996. 
So um, kind of an interesting scenario there. Cardinals are the other team with the head coaching opening. So it should be fun to see, you know, who lands where in the coming days. Seems like probably in a couple of weeks we'll have everyone in a spot uh, as you want to get your offseason underway. But to round out the episode, we are going to talk about conference championship recap. Uh, those two games, semifinal games, if you want to call it, occurred this past weekend. And then a Super Bowl preview, uh, and then round it out with the ice bath. But real quick, if you didn't know, uh, this upcoming, or tomorrow, I believe, is the Pro Bowl games where they show the events. They have dodgeball, they have longest drive, a couple other events that I'm missing. And then on Sunday, they have the Pro Bowl game itself. It's going to be three different games. There's going to be two games and then a final game. It's going to be AFC versus NFC. Uh, accumulation of the points from the Pro Bowl skills games and of the first two games will be added up. And then the final game will take place with ultimate winner um, being decided with the total accumulation of points. Obviously, you know, more money going to the winning team than the losing team. Uh, should be fun to see how that goes. A little, you know, redo on the or a makeover on the Pro Bowl week. Should be fun to see how it looks and how it plays and, you know, how the players like it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, you know, what does the Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl Skills Challenge look like? Um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I don't really know. Um, it, hopefully it's good. Hopefully the players enjoy it. It's honestly it should just be a time for the players to kind of get a break. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll kind of get right into the conference championship recaps here. Eagles defeated the 49ers 31-7 to in the first game of the weekend. Um, first game of the day, really. It wasn't really the weekend. It was just today. Um in what was a competitive game for what, like a quarter? And then Philly just dominated when, when Brock Purdy went down, it, that it was wraps. Um, was it Josh Johnson that came in? Was that his name? Yep. Yep. No shade of Josh Johnson. He got there and there to a, a bad situation. Um, just was not going to compete against that, that Philadelphia Eagles defense. Um, ultimately he gets hurt with a concussion. Brock goes back in, um, literally cannot throw the ball. He just hands the ball off every time. So, um, you know, it turns out Brock's going to have Tommy John surgery. It sounds like um, less in the, less extensive recovery than it is for pitchers, uh, for quarterbacks. Um, so it's probably a six to nine month timetable. Totally throws their their season off next year with with quarterback the quarterback situation. Luckily, the sub trainings on the roster, so certainly a storyline to follow there. But uh, overall, it's a domination from the Eagles, and frankly, a display of the fact that. Um, whatever flaws they showed early on in the year, they're, they're no more. The defense was awesome. Um, and granted they were playing against, you know, backup quarterback the whole game, but, uh, the, the offense was unstoppable against a really talented defense. So, um, you know, the Eagles are, are firing all cylinders right now and they're, I think the hottest team left, uh, in the dance. So. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Really not a great game overall, the NFC Championship, but fun to watch. Um, you know, see, you know, a conference championship game, pretty big implications, obviously, with the winner going to the Super Bowl. But right after that concluded, we had the AFC Championship. It was the Chiefs and the Bengals playing at Arrowhead. Chiefs beat the Bengals 23-20 to on a game-winning field goal with time expiring. Um, or I think there were three seconds left. But nonetheless, they just kicked, squibbed the kick. And that was it. Um, you know, back and forth game. Looked like the Bengals were going to win for a while. Then it looked like the Chiefs were going to win. Um, really good game, as we all expected. 
Uh, Joe Burrow has beat a, or excuse me, Patrick Mahomes has beat a Joe Burrow-led Bengals for the first time in his career, now one and three against the Bengals. Um, you know, some would say, you know, there were missed calls this way, there were missed calls that way. The Bengals should have won. Um, it was a late hit by Osai, um, you know, and especially against Mahomes, you're going to have that call. Uh, you know, he made a g- couple great TFLs earlier in the game that prevented long runs. You don't, you know, I don't think the game's decided on one play, but that was the play that was magnified because it ultimately did allow the Chiefs to kick a field goal or at a reasonable range. And, you know, if Osai didn't have the late hit, they're likely going to overtime. So there is that. But at the end of the day, there were a bunch of plays earlier in the game and a bunch of calls and stuff like that that do decide the game. Um, but, yeah, the Chiefs win by three. They're going to face off with the Eagles in Arizona at the Arizona Cardinals Stadium, uh, Glendale, Arizona. So it should be fun to watch here at on February 12th with the two one seeds. Uh, the Eagles are favored by one and a half at the moment. I say the Eagles win by four, so I'd probably hit the Eagles because the Chiefs. I mean, the AFC look across the board, and the second half of the season, they haven't played any defense. They haven't played against any defense. Excuse me, and. I mean, the Eagles have had a really stout defense for definitely the second half of the season. Um, You just look at a bunch of the AFC top teams. They didn't really go against great defenses most of the year. So I'm taking the Eagles just for that reason. Um, And for the fact that the Eagles are just more well-rounded. They're the best rounded, most rounded roster in the NFL. You know, the Chiefs obviously have holes at wide receiver, which could be glaring depending on injury uh, status for the Super Bowl in about 10 days or so. And then you also have you know, defense that's not as well-rounded. You have the D-line that feasted on Cincy, but, you know, Eagles have a better offensive line than the Bengals. So it'll be fun to watch, you know, a couple strengths versus weaknesses. And I just think overall it'll make for a good game and hopefully one of the better Super Bowls. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that we get a great game. The line is one and a half for the Eagles. Um, pick a winner at that point, right? I, I, I take the Eagles. Um it's going to hinge on the health of Patrick Mahomes, frankly. It's going to, it, since he really didn't get after him a ton, they didn't make him run with his legs as much as I thought they would and as much as Philly's going to. The Philly defensive line is a whole other beast. Um, and and Hassan Reddick's going to, going to have a field day, I think, against that right tackle. So, um, you know, it's going to be whether or not Patrick Mahomes can, can, be his 100% healthy self. So um, hope it's a great game. I'll touch real quick on the Chiefs-Bengals game. Was the officiating horrendous? Yes. Did it go both ways? Yes. Um, ultimately, you know, you can look at all the bad calls if you want to, and you said that the Chiefs got bailed out. But and coming from a Chargers fan, the Chiefs haven't bailed out before. Unfortunately, they have the best quarterback. They have the best player in football. That's going to happen. Michael Jordan got 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 ridiculous calls. Kobe Bryant got ridiculous calls. LeBron James still gets ridiculous calls. Jokic, Embiid, all these guys who are the best players in basketball right now, they get these ridiculous calls. You see dominant pitchers get, you know, more borderline strikes called for them in baseball. You see the best hitters in baseball, you know, the Mookie Betts, the Juan Sotos, the Aaron Judges, those guys get favorable ball and strike calls for them. So it's like that's just how sports works. You know what I mean? So – especially football, the best quarterbacks in football always get the best calls. Um, are the Chiefs incredibly lucky? Yes. 
The Bengals are also very lucky. I mean, I think I saw the worst taunting call I've ever seen calls on the Chiefs to give the Bengals a first down and continue the drive. So, you know, it absolutely the right call on the side, lit, lit hit out of bounds. Um, I feel really bad for the kid. He's an awesome kid at Texas. I, I really enjoyed scouting him a couple of years ago. Um, everyone out of Austin loved the kid. Let's tell you, he was a great guy. He played his he played his butt off to him. He played an incredible game. Um, you know, shout out to BJ Hill. I don't know if anybody saw it. Um, you know, during the post game presser, post I guess really locker room availability. Um, you know, reporters were kind of trying to obviously flocking to the side to ask him questions. And, and BJ Hill, veteran defensive lineman, leader of the defense, um, stood right by him and, and was frankly looked like he was about to knock anybody out who's going to ask a stupid question uh, of, of, of Joseph Osai. So um, big shout out to him. We need more. The, the Bengals need more BJ Hills in their locker room and less Jermaine Pratt's. If you saw what Jermaine Pratt did after the game through a little temper tantrum about, you know, uh, Osai hitting the quarterback, get over it. Um, that's football. But, um, you know, a tough situation, obviously for the bad for the kid. But nonetheless, the officiating was horrendous. Absolutely. Did it. 100% won the Chiefs the game? No, it didn't. Um, two two interceptions won the Chiefs the game. Uh, you know, not playing good enough red zone defense and playing too much bend and not break defense is what beat the Chiefs. It was what, was what beat the Bengals for the Chiefs. So, um, you know, ultimately, kind of how it breaks down. But again, looking forward to the Eagles-Chiefs matchup. Um, hoping everyone's healthy. Hoping it's all going to be, um, you know, you know, all signs are go for everybody across the board for each team. So looking forward to it, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, two one seeds is not something we see too often in the NFL. So it'll be fun with two high caliber rosters, hopefully uh, healthy, like you said. But we're going to round out the episode here with an ice bath where we each just touch on some uh, that is football related. And just going to, you know, something out of the blue kind of that we wouldn't really talk about on a normal episode. But I'll go first real quick here. Um, first of all, Ravens backup quarterback Tyler Huntley is going to be in the Pro Bowl. Uh, just an absolute legend. You know, this was a long time coming for him. He finally makes his first Pro Bowl, and I just couldn't be happier. Um, but, yeah, he's going to be in the Pro should Bowl. Tell you, should tell you all you need to know about the Pro Bowl this year. It's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean – he doesn't have any business being there and you know he only played he appeared in seven started six games and he just didn't play that great obviously he's a backup for a reason um but you know i'm happy for him i mean it's a guy going to the pro bowl that really probably never thought he would make it uh for being a fourth alternate going to the pro bowl because josh allen wants to play pebble beach um because herbert has surgery because lamar has a bum knee because Mahomes is going to the Super Bowl, and because who else? Trevor Lawrence is I think going. Burrow just, I think I think Burrow just opted out. I think he yeah, said because I'm good. Joe Burrow opted out. So Trevor Lawrence, uh, I believe Derek Carr and Tyler Huntley will be the Pro Bowl so quarterbacks. What's crazy uh, so is that, that Huntley be... was the Huntley was the fourth alternate. Lawrence was the fifth. Isn't that crazy? And then mm-hmm. I think Carr was the sixth. You've got the fourth, fifth, and sixth alternates representing the AFC. Crazy. Right. That's that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But nonetheless, flag football should be fun. Tyler Huntley's probably a menace in flag football. Um, he probably is, dude, honestly. So that would be fun to see how he does. Um, but my real ice bath, I just forgot to touch on that earlier. My real ice bath is that the Big 12 football schedule dropped yesterday at 1 p.m. Texas Tech has an interesting schedule. Um, 
kind of a weak home schedule for being honest, but nonetheless a fun football schedule that rounds out with Tech going to Austin to play UT on Black Friday. So maybe we'll hit up that game when we're home. Um, but yeah, the non-conference schedule at Wyoming, home against Oregon is their home opener, which is big. Uh, you know, they hardly ever play Power 5 non-conference games, let alone at home. So that'll be fun. Follow it up the next week with a home game at versus Tarleton State. Should blow them out. Um, conference opener is on the road in Morgantown at West Virginia. Then they host Houston, go to Baylor, host Kansas State, go to BYU, host TCU on a Thursday, go to Kansas, host Central Florida, and go to Texas. So you look at three of the four new Big 12 teams Tech's facing off with. The four Big 12 teams that they aren't playing are Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and forgetting the last one Cincinnati so they're playing you know pretty good competition you look at it Kansas State TCU are both big 12 championship last year BYU is always pretty good you know Houston probably won't be great Baylor's rebuilding Central Florida has been pretty good in the past and Texas is always you know a good opponent Um, Kansas is on the rise and West Virginia we never really know what to get with them, but it seems like, you know, Tech has their numbers. So it should be fun. I think Tech's going to open the season ranked, um, probably in the 20s, but nonetheless ranked. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking eight regular season. You know, out of these 12 games, they probably go eight and four if it had to be, you know, off the rip, I guess. All in all, dog. What you mean? 12 and 0. No, I, I think, I, genuinely, I think a 10 win season is very possible. I would put on the record right now, I'm calling it right here. This is This is my non-heated up hot take it's a hot take from the cold seat texas tech's gonna shock the world and beat oregon in lubbock and they're gonna and they're gonna beat them like i'm talking like more than one score it's a tough trip that's a tough trip from eugene down to lubbock it's gonna be hot it's gonna be labor day weekend it's gonna be warm It'll be a dry heat down here it's crowd's gonna be epic dude i mean that might be game day i don't uh, probably not there's probably better games to go it's probably gonna be go to the tuscaloosa game or the, the texas game in tuscaloosa tuscaloosa jesus um but the environment's gonna be crazy dude the jones is gonna be rocking i hope it's like a noon game i want it to be just hot as heck for the for the for those dudes up in eugene um mm-hmm. i give it to me give me the red raiders beating beating them and that's gonna you know be a huge a huge start for the year. I think it's going to get the, get the ball rolling. Um, you know, I, I'm predicting a big 12 championship berth. I think the big 12 is wide open this year. Um, TCU loses a lot of talent. K-State loses some talent. Texas, obviously, I mean, who knows what Texas is going to do. Oklahoma, same thing. So I'm really excited about it. Um, but yeah, I'll get into my, my ice bath and we'll, and we'll close it up here for the episode tonight. Um, so Shrine Bowl is going on uh, right now, kind of lagged, lagged or I guess a few days before uh gonna wrap up before the senior bowl i believe the game is on thursday and the senior bowl games on saturday um but kind of the the far away the biggest name at the shrine bowl is uh, boston college wide receiver zay flowers um he was my wide receiver four in our early wide receiver rankings obviously this could change um kind of as we push closer to april um but nonetheless a guy that i really like and a guy that i like for the chargers um he has met with them multiple times this week at the shrine bowl which is a great thing to hear um obviously kellen moore talked about speed um Pardon me, Zay Flowers, certainly a guy who can provide it. Um, one of my guys in this class would love to see him on the Chargers, pick him at 21 in a heartbeat. Um, super dynamic. Love what he brings to the game. Love his mentality. So great to see that he met with the Chargers. 
multiple times this week at the Shrine Bowl, and I texted Brett this, and we'll obviously talk, I'll talk more about this next week, but um, obviously it's not the Senior Bowl, but the Chargers have a knack, more specifically Tom Telesco has a knack for drafting Shrine and Senior Bowl guys early on in the draft. So um, certainly they got to keep on the radar for the Chargers here in the coming months leading up to the draft on April 27th. Yeah, nonetheless, a big name at the Shrine Bowl. Should be fun to see, you know, what happens to his stock leading up to the Combine in about a month and then ultimately where he lands in the draft. So um, we're looking forward. You know, we're going to be talking about next week. We're going to be talking about we're going to have some NFL honors predictions with that being next Thursday. We're going to have a Senior Bowl recap, coaching hire updates, and then NHL standings recap, golf recap, and that'll pretty much be it. So looking forward to it. Um, I think that's pretty much it that we have for you all today for episode 36 on this Wednesday. Um, Yeah, I mean, we'll see you all on Friday in a couple days for our edge rankings, which should be fun. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Follow us on social media at Cold Seat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you all in a couple days. See you guys soon.